Well, as we begin, um, we are looking at a bit of a transition here in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. And I want to start by asking you a question this morning. The question is this. Do you consider yourself a part of this local church? Do you consider yourself a part of this local church? And maybe I should ask this question in a different way. Uh, maybe it would be more specific to ask, in what way do you feel that you are a part of this local church? In what way do you feel that you're a part of this local church? You see, many times we can view the local church and our connection to the local church uh, through our own perceptions that can often be misguided. We can often view the local church and our connection to it through the lenses of our own thought processes, through the lenses of our own feelings and emotions. Let me give you a few instances where we can view the local church and our connection to it through the wrong lenses. Some people view the local church and, and their place in the local church as this. The church is somewhere I go. The church is somewhere I go. In fact, we often use the phrase, we are going to church. As if the church is this building, which we know Scripture tells us that, that individuals comprise Christ's church, not brick and mortar. But sometimes we can say, church, my connection to the church is it's somewhere I go on Sunday mornings. Another way we can view our connection to the local church, it sounds more spiritual, but we can say, well, the church is somewhere I serve. And praise the Lord that, that we are a body um, that serves. But this too can be a misbalanced truth. For if we view our connection to the local church as something that I'm doing, then it's all about what we feel we have to offer. It's really about us. We can view the church as being somewhere I serve. Many times, these two, we talked about a spectrum last week. These two uh, thoughts can be on a spectrum. On one end, well, the church is somewhere I go, and we're content to just come to church and sit ourselves down in a chair, and we've done our duty for the week. And on the other end, you can have someone just as misbalanced as the church is somewhere that I go to serve, almost like you're clocking in. That's somewhere where even uh, Pastor Dennis, myself, uh, we have to consciously keep in mind, though uh, we may be preaching on a Sunday morning, it is not about the task that we have to do. It is about what we are doing being an act of worship that is an overflow of God's working in our heart. 
Another misconception is that church is an accessory to the Christian life. That my connection to the local church is, I don't really need the local church, but sometimes I choose to be a part of it. When you think of an accessory, I don't know about you, but I think I like electronics. I think of the iPhone. I haven't started asking my wife for an iPhone 14 yet, but <laughs> I'm way behind the, the, the curve now, like several generations behind. But, um, you know, I like iPhones. But, you know, sometimes we can think of the church, and I don't have my phone here with me, but almost like the church is an accessory to the Christian life, like, an, like a case is an accessory to your phone. Or if you really want to be careful with your phone, especially if it costs a lot of money, you're going to get an accessory of a screensaver. Boy, you're being really careful now. Maybe that doesn't float your boat. What about all of the optional car add-ons, car accessories you can have? We often, you know, you think of a car, and if you're going to get a brand new car, you know, what are the, what, what, what trim do you want? What are the extra accessories that you're willing to pay for? Or ladies, you think of an outfit that, well, to complement the outfit, I'm going to get a nice piece of jewelry to really make that outfit look complete. Or a pair of shoes. Can't we view the church as this in our Christian life? Think of a house. Well, to really complete this house, the outside is nice, the inside is nice, but we need to put some pictures on the walls. We need to get some better furniture to match the house, the paint. See, if we're not careful, if we're, if we're not coming to the topic of the church in the right way, we can almost view the local church like these other things. An accessory to the Christian life. If I really want to go above and beyond, I'm going to be connected to the local church. And it's just not biblical. So these examples show us the danger of, of how we can get off track and why we need Scripture to guide us. And you know, the case was no different in the first century. Paul is speaking here to a divided church on so many levels. I mean, think with me of all that we've seen in the book of 1 Corinthians. They were divided as to their leadership. All these different people saying they're following these different leaders. They were divided concerning their viewpoints. Well, it's not a big deal for me to eat meat sacrificed to idols. Um, they just don't have the proper knowledge. And there's all these divisions. As we saw in chapter 11 with the Lord's Supper, there, there were divisions regarding the social status of those in the church. I'm going to hang out and I am going to indulge with those of a higher class and leave the, the poorer without anything. And now we see there were even 
divisions when it comes to spiritual gifts. You see, the church, this church, was a fractured church. Excuse me. And, And, you know, really they were fractured coming, stemming from two different things. First of all, we see throughout the book of 1 Corinthians that there was a deviation from doctrinal truth. Their theology was all messed up. And then that led to another problem. That led to the fruit problem of belittling one another within the church. And the interesting thing in 1 Corinthians 12 that makes this chapter so interesting is Paul addresses both of these issues. He gives both correction and he gives encouragement. The correction is that there is need for repentance regarding their wrong thinking and wrong behavior. Their wrong doctrine led to wrong living. And the same thing is true of us. We may not be uh, arguing about eating meat offered to idols, or we may not be struggling with some of the things that this church was struggling with, but the heart issues are the same. A wrong belief system that leads to wrong living. But then in 1 Corinthians 12, he not only gives correction, but he gives encouragement. Encouragement that each member has been equipped and is useful to the Lord and to the church body. So even those ones that were being left out of the Lord's Supper, it was a reminder to those that were more prestigious and an encouragement to those that felt left out that I have something to offer to the Lord. That God desires to use me to minister to Him and to minister to the body. Christ's church is indeed one body, and that's the analogy Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 12. You see, you and I, if if you're taking notes, you can write this down, you and I have been equipped to minister as members in Christ's body. We have been equipped to minister as members in Christ's body. Now, chapters 11 to 14, uh, as we go through the book, they form a unit regarding church worship, order within the church. But chapters 12 to 14, they form an even tighter unit to what Paul is addressing in the Corinthian church. You see, in chapter 12, Paul is specifically addressing spiritual gifts and the need for unity. In chapter 14, Paul again is addressing specifically two spiritual gifts. Pastor Dennis is going to talk about this. It's going to be tongues and prophecy. And then couched in the middle of chapters 12 and 14 is chapter 13. That the glue that holds everything together is Christ-like love. 
So this gives us a bit of a roadmap to where we're headed for the next several weeks. But this morning um, and, for the, and, 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 and for the next couple weeks, we are specifically looking at chapter 12 and what it looks like to live as one body. So we're going to be looking in chapter 12 at three guiding truths regarding God's gifting and equipping of each of us as, as one body to serve Him. This morning we're going to be look, looking, just starting to look, to introduce this point in verses 1 to 11, that spiritual gifts point us to the gift giver. Spiritual gifts point us to the gift giver. In coming weeks, we're going to be looking at verses 12 to 26, that spiritual gifts not only point us to the gift giver, but spiritual gifts point us to one another. And then we're going to conclude chapter 12 in verses 27 to 31, that spiritual gifts focus us on God's mission. So as we come to the Lord and we're going to pray, I want to remind you that we are indeed to cling to what truly matters. And as we look at this issue of spiritual gifts and what the Scriptures say regarding spiritual gifts, would our eyes be pointed to Christ, the One who we serve. We do not serve out of recognition we are not to serve out of self-gratification or even guilt we are to serve christ through the power of the holy spirit so let's pray lord we do ask your spirit to be at work this morning father as we kind of begin to just do a bit of a of, of an introductory glimpse into chapter 12 this morning Father, would you both rebuke us where rebuke is necessary, but Lord, would you also encourage us? Because Lord, your rebuke is always life-giving. It's always a rebuke of encouragement that we have been given a higher calling than what we often settle for. And Lord, it's not just a higher calling that we have to do jumping jacks or or to try to attain. Lord, it's a higher calling that your Spirit enables us to. Father, I know in my life and I think in the lives of those here, we so often ignore the enablement of the Holy Spirit. The privilege, the high calling that you've given us is such a blessing, but it can be daunting if we are not mindful of your enablement. Father, would we not be content to make our connection to church simply be a place that we go and maybe talk to a few people? Would we not be content to make the church body be a people that we serve But Lord, without void of those actions, there's no real connection. Lord, would we not be content to view the local church as simply an accessory to the Christian life? 
Father, would you guide us and speak to our hearts through your word? In Jesus' name, amen. Number one, we are looking this morning, we're just introducing this point, but spiritual gifts point us to the gift giver. And you know, that was the problem in the church in Corinth. We're going to see this as we get further along into this unit of chapter 12 to 14. That man, spiritual gifts, that this church was using spiritual gifts to try to point to themselves, to lift themselves up. And, and it was causing the whole health of the church to go wonky. Well, we're going to begin by looking at a proper foundation to understanding spiritual gifts. If spiritual gifts are to point us to the gift giver, then there's a few foundational points that we need to understand concerning spiritual gifts. And that's what Paul gives us in verses 1 to 3. I want to start by looking at verse 1. Paul says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one is speaking, or that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know about you, but, but as I was studying this passage, I kind of was scratching my head a little bit, saying, Paul, I'm kind of tracking with you from verse 4 on. But what exactly does verses 1 to 3 have to do with what you're saying here? Nonetheless, I think we can find the connection. You see, verses 1 to 2 and laying this proper foundation to understanding spiritual gifts, Paul says this is indeed an important matter in the life and the health of the local church. In fact, in verse 1, Paul, uh, Terry alluded to this, when he says now concerning spiritual gifts, this is a question that was on the mind of the church in Corinth. Paul has mentioned different issues that we have seen that he's addressing different needs in the church that, the, that the, Cor the Corinthian church had questions about. In fact, in chapter 7, in verse 1, he begins addressing sexual matters. In verse 25, he says, Now concerning those who are betrothed or engaged, there was questions going on in the church about what do we do in light of our circumstances. In chapter 8, Paul says, now concerning food offered to idols, he's addressing an issue in the church. And now in chapter 12, he says, concerning spiritual gifts. There was a question here. Things were not right. Have you ever been in your spiritual life that you can't even put your finger on it, but you say, you know what, things just don't seem right? And I, I can't even put my finger on it and how helpful it is to be able to, to talk with a brother or sister and say, you know what, this is kind of what I'm feeling, this is what I'm going through, what are your thoughts on this? Well, they knew that somehow in the life of the church, what was going on 
in the context of the worship service and the use of spiritual gifts, something wasn't right. But they couldn't quite know what it was nor how to fix it. And Paul is answering this dilemma. And he says, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know, ignorance is not bliss. Sometimes we think it is, right? Well, I'm not going to talk about this problem because if I talk about the problem, it will bring it to the forefront and I would rather just sweep it under the rug. Or I'm not going to go to the doctor because I'm afraid the doctor might give bad news, so it's better to avoid the doctor altogether. It's not the best reasoning or logic, is it? Ignorance is not bliss, and Paul is going to address this issue not only for the first century church in Corinth, but for us. It's also interesting that when he says now concerning spiritual gifts, this word is actually interpreted very broadly, spiritual things. Now, according to context, we know that Paul has gifts in mind, and that's why our English translation says spiritual gifts. But even broader than that, in the Greek, it's spiritual things, and according to the context, those things could be anything. And what we see here is that Before Paul even gets to the immediate topic of spiritual gifts, he says, here are things you need to know of a spiritual nature. You know, sometimes we want the quick fixes in our life. Okay, I'm struggling with my marriage, so what are the three things that I need to do in order to fix my marriage? Uh, And many times that can be translated, reading between the lines, What are three things that I can do to make my spouse not angry with me anymore so I can get them off my back? Or what are the two quick parenting tips so that I don't have to deal with this issue anymore? And sometimes we have to back up and say, before we get to the immediate issue, we need to see a broader picture of what's going on. And Paul is actually addressing something from a wide view angle before he ever gets to the specifics of spiritual gifts. And what he does is in verse 2, he gives a warning to the church. He says, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Ah, he brings their minds back to a theological, spiritual reality. We looked at 1 Corinthians 5 uh, um, a while ago, but we also turned to it last week. Do you remember Paul says the type of people that will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then he says, such were some of you, but you've been washed. God has done a work in your heart you are spiritually no longer what you once were. You have a new identity now. And Paul is once again bringing the Corinthians' minds to what they once were, but no longer were to be. He says, you know when you were pagans, 
what happened? They were led astray to mute idols. It's really interesting. That word pagans there can also be translated Gentiles. In Scripture, what is characteristic of the word Gentiles? It is those who are outside of the family of faith. That no longer in Christ is there national barriers. No, it is either you are in Christ, you are a true Israelite, or you are outside of Christ. And, and here, he says, once you were pagans, once you were Gentiles, and what was characteristic of your life, church, when you were outside of Christ? It was being led astray to mute idols. Now, Paul could have just said idols. But he wants to give the extra punch that these idols were good for nothing. In fact, when he says mute idols, he, he has the whole of Scripture, the whole of the Old Testament that he draws upon because the Old Testament talks about the futility and weakness of idols. I'm just going to give you one instance on, this, on the screen from Habakkuk 2, chapter, verses 18 to 19. Habakkuk says, What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. I mean, even that's ironic. Here, the person that makes something is then going to worship what he makes. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. There you have that mute idol idea. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake! Doesn't that not seem foolish? To a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is not breath at all in it. It looks really good and fancy on the outside. And many times, uh, it, um, it, with idol worship, it would, it would be that, yes, this is a stone and it's all decorated, but the belief that somehow the Spirit of the God would then indwell this piece of stone. And the prophet here says, this is ridiculous. But you know, how many times... can we fall back into the trap of pursuing worthless, ineffective idols? And man, they look good. Man, they're awful fancy. And man, don't they even create a sense of satisfaction at least for a while. But it leads to nothing. You see, many of us Especially as saved later in life, we can, uh, you can tangibly think about, man, my life before Christ. There's others here that maybe were saved at an early age and, and you think, you know what? I can't really think about that previous life because I didn't live a whole lot of life in. The, uh, as an unbeliever, or in situations where I was pursuing all of these things, but nonetheless, the spiritual reality is just as, 
as real and is just as much a miracle that you have been brought from death to life. And the danger for us, even as believers, is to once again allow ourselves to be led astray to ineffective, empty, mute idols. You see, as believers, we must not carry over false conceptions of our former days and and bring that into the worship of God. As believers, we must not take even cultural philosophies and somehow start to meld those into our faith. And that's what we're seeing going on here. This is a warning to the church that while the church is to be a light to the world, we cannot let the influence of the world's culture into the church. As one person says, their previous spiritual experience is completely untrustworthy as a guide to the ways of the one true God that they have now come to know in and through Christ. So Paul not only gives a warning here as he's setting up this topic of spiritual gifts, but then he gives a guide to us. He gives a guide to the church. Now this may seem like, well, yeah, of course. But I want us to look at this deeply. Verse 3 says, Therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. This is a guide to the church. Now, we don't have any indication in reading the book of 1 Corinthians that people were standing up and all of a sudden they were claiming to be um, filled with the Holy Spirit and saying, Jesus is accursed. Uh, it could happen, we weren't there, uh, but, but there, there's no reports. It seems more likely um, from what we do know that's in Scripture is that there was this clamoring for using these spiritual gifts to draw attention to self. We do read in 1 John, we read in Jude, that there was a denial of Jesus Christ that he was the Christ. So maybe this was going on in the church of Corinth, maybe not. But but what can we gather from verse 3? First of all, I think we can gather from verse 3 that the Spirit leads believers to what is true. I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. You see, when someone truly is empowered with the Holy Spirit, they are not going to lead individuals or themselves to untruth. There is going to be doctrinal truth. You know how we can gauge so many 
believers and, and, and we can gauge so much of what is said in Christian circles today, our gauge is through Scripture that, man, if this is, doesn't line up with Scripture, you know, we need to get rid of it. We need to ignore it. And while these believers may not have been saying Jesus is accursed, at least not the ones that we read of in chapters 12 to 14, you know what we do see here? That there was a devaluing of Jesus in the name of the Holy Spirit. Individuals were standing up to prophesy, to, to speak in tongues, to use their spiritual gifts in a way that disregarded others and put the limelight on themselves. This was a devaluing of Jesus in the name of the Holy Spirit. And I think we see a lot of it today. Where the Holy Spirit as, is at work there is always an exaltation of Jesus. Amen? Listen, in your own life, the voices that you're listening to throughout the day, whether it's other people's voices or your, the, your own voice in your mind, is it pointing you in exalting Jesus in your mind or is it exalting something else? You can know that that is not from the Spirit of God. If Jesus is being devalued and other things are being exalted. The Holy Spirit leads believers to what is true. And the second point that we can gather from verse 3 is that believers are to submit to the Lordship of Christ through the Spirit. You see, those that are truly empowered by the Holy Spirit and that are properly using their spiritual gifts are those that not only proclaim truth, Jesus is Lord, but that expression is not just an empty theological truth, that expression is to be a heart reality. Jesus is indeed my Lord. You know what Lord means? Master. One who is sovereign and you are putting yourself under. And that was not happening here. In the use of spiritual gifts. Like what Two individuals have said in their commentary, says, Jesus is Lord is not merely a statement of theological conviction, but of personal allegiance. And that's what's missing in this church. What good is it for me to come up and to share theological truth and have no personal allegiance to it? And man, in God's graciousness, uh, He still uses theological truth when it goes out and, and no one is ever perfect as we talked about last week but is there a desire of putting yourself under the lordship of christ because even something good 
like the use of spiritual gifts, coming and serving in this local church can be what verse 2 talks about as a mute idol, believe it or not. Even those good things. And many times we have churches filled with exhausted fleshly people carrying out the Lord's work in the strength of the flesh. And that never works. It may work for a while, but it will not last. So I hope that you can see this morning why what we are looking at is so important. Why this really is, verses 1 to 3, really are a proper foundation to understanding spiritual gifts. I just want to take a few minutes and then we'll be done to look at one other point under spiritual gifts pointing us to the gift giver. Verses 4 to 6, and we're going to end here we are going to see that the Godhead is the source of all spiritual gifts. Paul has already mentioned the Holy Spirit in verse 3. And and he's introducing that true spiritual gifts done under the Lordship of Christ, they come from the Holy Spirit. That is empowerment by the Holy Spirit. And now he is going to look deeper at the source of spiritual gifts. The Godhead or the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is the source of all spiritual gifts. Now the word Trinity is is nowhere used in the Bible, but the Trinity is taught in the Bible. The word Trinity, three in one, is a way to describe the relationship we see in Scripture of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now, if you were in a connection group this past year, uh, you talked several lessons about the Holy Spirit. And, And as the lesson stated, and so was true, there is no earthly analogy that completely explains is a good analogy for the Holy Spirit. You've often heard of the egg analogy. That the egg has three parts, right? The shell, the white, and the yolk. And and that can be helpful to a limited extent. But yet, the the Trinity, if the egg was to be a good example of the Trinity, the shell itself would be a complete egg. The white would be a complete egg. The yolk would be a complete egg, which it is not, right? Right? Not the last time I fried an egg, which was yesterday. No, uh, the shell makes up a part of an egg. The white makes up a part of an egg. The, The yolk makes up a part of an egg. God the Father is completely God. God the Son is completely God. God the Holy Spirit is completely God. They are three distinct persons, yet equal. None of them is relegated in their equality, their essence. This is actually 
While it's not as easy to memorize, this is actually a helpful chart if you are explaining the Trinity to someone. It's almost like a map. It reminds me of Nate and Aaron's security map that they showed us a, while, uh, a couple weeks ago with the things, you know, you hear a sound, you, you know, th- that's what this is. Same idea. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. But the Father is not the Holy Spirit. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Father is not the Son. Do you get the idea? Well, I show you that because we see in verses 4 to 6, all three persons of the Godhead are mentioned here doing an overlapping work. Let's read verses 4 to 6. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. First of all, I want us to notice just three things here. I want us to notice the contrast, and this is going to set up what we look at next week. Notice that in each of these verses, verse 4, verse 5, verse 6, there are three, or there are two pairs of words that are repeated. What are they? On one hand, there are varieties. You can talk in church. You can say amen. You can read the text. There are varieties. Don't worry, it won't create disorder in the assembly, like we'll read at in chapter 14. (laughs) Uh, The varieties and same. So we see a contrast, and we're going to see a contrast in the whole of chapter 12, and how that contrast works together. Secondly, I want us to notice the source of the gifts. Verse 4, there are a variety of gifts, so many gifts, but the same Lord. Or excuse me, I'm in verse 5. Uh, many gifts, but the same Spirit. So the Holy Spirit. Lots of different spiritual gifts. We'll look at a few of them next week, but the same Holy Spirit. Verse 5, there are a variety of service. But it's the same Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 6, there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God. It's the same God the Father who empowers them all. We see all three members of the Godhead there. But I want us to look at one more thing. Not only the contrast of varieties and same, Not only the source of the gifts, we see all three members of the Godhead, but I also want us to look, as we close, at the realm of God's working. Look at verse 4. Gifts are mentioned, and it is the Spirit that is empowering these gifts. So the first realm that God works through, we see, are gifts, spiritual gifts. You could literally call these gifts grace gifts. In other words, they're gifts that not come from our own manufacturing. They are given to us. One person says um, this term, grace gifts, that which is freely and graciously given, didn't have to pay a dime, 
Imagine that. Now again, paving the way as we look at gifts, you may say, Pastor Adam, what is a spiritual gift? And I don't know if you're like me, but when I was younger, I was in youth group, and man, I can't tell you how many spiritual gift tests there were that you could take. And, you know, sometimes it would even be one test would say something different than the other tests. And sometimes we can become overly focused on, well, what is my spiritual gift? As, as if we have to know this badge that we can wear of, this is how I'm called to serve the Lord. No, you serve Him. And as you serve Him, Christ works in your life. He works in others' lives. And those things are revealed. But I would like to give you a kind of a definition of a spiritual gift. A spiritual gift, and, and this isn't the shortest definition. If you, if you, uh, our time is almost out, so if you want it, I can give it to you later. But a spiritual gift is a divinely empowered, graciously given or appointed service or you could put in their ability. I don't like that word a lot, but a divinely empowered, graciously appointed service that edifies or builds up individual believers and the local church as a whole. So in other words, it's something that God has given you to encourage other believers not just encourage them, make them feel happy, but to encourage them in the faith. To be able to minister, to be a part of making Jesus big in someone's life. And making Jesus big in the life of the church. That is edification. That is building up in the life of the local church. That you are encouraging, we are encouraging each other through practical means, through spiritual means, but ultimately that is to point each other to Jesus because that's the role of the Holy Spirit, to point to Jesus. Now sometimes people say, well, what is the difference between an ability and a spiritual gift? And, and, and I don't know if that's even the right question to ask as if you can make a dichotomy about it. I mean, someone can be a really great piano player and they use that gift in a concert hall or a recital and they also play here in the local church using their gifts for the Lord. So I don't know if it's as much trying to make a, a contrast between God has hardwired us in our Christian lives. He's hardwired us as people to have a proclivity to exercise certain gifts and abilities in a certain way. And as we become believers, as we become connected in the local church, God through the Holy Spirit, uses those things to bless others. Kids here, we have fourth graders and up. Did you know that God is already, if you're a believer, 
He is working in your lives, honing those spiritual gifts. I mean, man, I remember, I don't know if my mom remembers this. Sometimes she watches the, the YouTube videos later, so we'll see. But um, I remember as a kid, uh, you know those, bowl, they still make them, those toddler bowling, bowling sets, the plastic pins and the plastic balls. I remember taking one of those pins and saying, Mom, I'm going to speak to you. And I would pace around the room and do like a little sermon with my bowling pin microphone. Well, little did I know that that's God honing what he has wired in to minister to his body. So even as a child... To be actively serving the Lord, allowing Him to use you is a way that you not only minister, but you are allowing the Spirit to hone the spiritual gifts that He has given you. And those spiritual gifts can be used outside the local church. But here we see that the purpose of the gifts are to equip the body for active service for the Lord. These things are grace gifts and they're Holy Spirit empowered. Now going back again to verse 2, the danger, and we don't have time to harp on this, but the danger is that we can take those grace gifts and because they come natural to us, we can start to think that we can do it in the flesh. And all of a sudden, the power of the Holy Spirit is void. But we see spiritual gifts, the realm of, God, of, of, of the Godhead's working is in the spiritual gifts. We see the work of the Holy Spirit. And then verse 5 talks about service, varieties of service. Did you know this word is the word we get deacon from? Service or ministries. It's not only deacons that serve the church. We all have ministries in the church. So what we see here is that the Lord, Jesus, is actively involved in the ministries of the local body in which individuals are exercising their spiritual gifts. There's many ministries, but the same Lord. And then thirdly, there are varieties of activities what we're talking, we're not talking here about, yeah, we have a Unite Night tonight activity. We have uh, an activity coming up. We have the Blossberg Outreach activity. That's not what Paul's talking about, activities. This is talking about workings. The, that God the Father is at work. There are a variety of ways that God is at work in His church. And even though there are varieties of ways, it's from the same God who empowers. Did you know empowers is the same um, word as activities, just a noun and verb? So there are a variety of ways that God's power is at work, but it is the same God who is empowering these things to be at work. And he empowers them all in everyone. 
The New American Standard Bible says there are a variety of effects, but it is the same God who works all things and all persons. So as we close this introductory look at spiritual gifts, I pray that you are first of all encouraged that I have a larger part to play in the life of the church than just coming and sitting or even just serving without a heart of worship or viewing the church as an accessory. I have an active role in the life of the church. I pray that you are challenged that these things come from the Holy Spirit and are empowered by the Holy Spirit and do not come in our own strength. And I pray that you see here that the unity that binds all of these different gifts, different ministries, different ways God is working, the thing that binds them together is the unity of the Godhead itself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are at work in us and are at work in His church.